questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Someone once said that history contributes to the disenchantment of the world. Nations seem to require myth. How do we define civilization? It's the stage of human social development, an organization that is considered most advanced. Or is it? Greetings. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And tonight we discuss the myth of civilization with a Veritas veteran who does not require a formal introduction. I'm referring to our friend, Neil Kramer. Hello, Neil, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Hey, Mel. It's always a total pleasure to be back with you. I'm doing real well. How are you doing? Excellent. And by the way, since you're always traveling around the world, are you in, in Oregon now? I'm not. I'm actually, I, I live up near Seattle, so I'm on the Olympic Peninsula up in Washington State. So I'm about an hour west of Seattle. Oh, excellent. Well, I, I know that recently you were in Costa Rica, correct? I was, yeah. So I, I came I came from the sort of, you know, tropical jungles of uh, rainforest of Costa Rica in Central America to the sort of misty mountain forests of Washington State. So I, I always seem to be, you know, meandering under the trees somewhere, which is a very happy thing for me. So, <laughs> yeah, I love I love Oregon and Washington are two of my favorite places. So I'm very happy to sp- spend a lot of time here. But yeah, Washington, Washington's a beautiful place. It's, it's been a long, dark winter, but um, the, the, the forest here and the mountainside and the rivers and the lakes, I'm just exploring them all fresh. So I'm having a super time. That's wonderful. And before we begin the, the interview and the myth mm. of civilization and all the other topics we'll be discussing, I was curious to get your take on something. If you notice, folks, in the past few shows, I've shortened the intros. Yeah, they used to be two and a half minutes, and I realized that was too overkill. It was too long. But I noticed this in movie theaters. I noticed it, noticed it with children. If you have children trying to watch a, a movie that says, you know, probably before the, the mid-1990s, it's very hard for them to watch it. What's going on with civilization when it comes to the attention span? We don't seem to enjoy listening to somebody speak for a long period of time. And that's why my intros are, have become shortened to, to appease some people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think your listeners will think the shorter the intro, the better, which which when I'm listening to shows and you say, this is a guy, he's talking about mysticism, it's neilkramer.com, whatever. Hello, Neil, let's go. I personally prefer it when someone does that. But on your wider theme of attention span, definitely with the internet since the late 90s, this discursiveness is the word here. Discursiveness is moving on from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another. That's become crazy now with the internet. Say like a frog hopping from one lily pad to another. It doesn't stay hardly any time at all. It just is constantly hopping, seeing what's new on the next lily pad, what flowers there are, what flies to eat, what the water's like over there. And it's, it's constantly moving from one thing to another. And even in cinema, you can, you can see this discursiveness and this speed. So there's a, there's a thing in filmmaking which... Uh, I've been learning things about filmmaking as I've been working on this transmutation project, which is complete now. We'll mention that perhaps later. Mm-hmm. But one of the things is average shot length, which is uh, the sort of duration of a shot between cuts in the film. So I'll shot, like, say, on a guy's face, 
and then it cuts to the woman he's talking to. So it's the average shot length that the camera stays on each subject. And basically, when you go back to the movies of the 50s and 60s and 70s, the average shot length is quite long. So the camera will stay on its subject for quite a while, and you get a sense of purpose and being. You see the guy's face, you see the apartment, you see the conversation, you see the landscape. You, It places you in there. In modern films, that average shot length has gone down to less than a second for most things. Just cut, 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 flick, 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 new image, new image, new image. And so even watching television, if you watch commercials on live broadcast television, for someone who's like, say, 40 or older, it's virtually unwatchable because the average shot length is so tiny that your eye is being bombarded with just like this influx of colors and shapes and sounds and regardless of what it is whether it's a lovely nature program or somebody getting their head blown off it doesn't make any difference the brain doesn't like to move at that velocity it doesn't like to see that many things so even when we're scrolling through you know google images or our pinterest boards or through you know libraries of sound archives when you're just scrolling 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 it's bad for the brain. So that shortens the attention span. If you're endlessly scrolling through things, it actually reduces your ability to focus, period, regardless of what you're doing. So my advice, like with everything, is the fabulous technology we've got certainly opens things up, but you have to modulate it and discipline yourself. So more and more, a time arrives in the day where I just shut that laptop, shut that computer, turn that monitor off, and shut the door and all the technology now is in this room so the phone it doesn't live by the bedside anymore it lives in this room and everything gets turned off and it's just gradually improved the quality of life for me so i I always advise people to do that turn the stuff off if you carry a cell phone around keep it in airplane mode all the time unless you're going to make a call what do you want to know about things for is there anything that vastly important or would you prefer to cultivate your own signal, your own consciousness, your own broadcast, and you know, be where you are? So t- to have constant interruptions is a sort of trick of empire, really. It keeps people dumb. It's the distraction. And, you know, recently I, I know. produced uh, a video, a drone video for my, my, oh, yeah. my vacation yeah. rental company. And I wanted to just have five seconds per per, per uh, Click, clip, if you will. And I thought that was short enough and people complain. And I'm thinking, how are you going to observe the ocean and the and the lighthouses if it's only going to be a second, a second, a second? Yeah, I think if you go if you go and look at a film, say, like uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, the average shot length in that is about 13 seconds. So that means that for 13 seconds, most shots, the camera is static on one subject and doesn't move. That's unheard of today. You won't see modern films unless they're really obscure art house films. You won't see a film stay on its subject for more than two, three seconds maybe. So all the new movies that come out, that, that's, the, that's the thing to watch out for. And so when people become sort of acclimated to that, they then expect it with everything. Conversation, food, clothes, sex, music. <laughs> you know, it's throughout the whole thing. So you have to... You have to concentrate on focus because in focus and in duration comes depth, comes color, comes substance and vitality. If it's always moving, it's, it's very colorful in, in, in a sense, you know, like the multicolored 
fabric that moves before your eyes, a tapestry of so many wonderful glittery things to look at, but you never go deep. It's always just the surface. So focus equals quality to me. And I think that's that's a sort of rule of thumb that I try and uh, make part of my life. And if the camera is staying on the subject, the camera is actually moving. Nothing is static yeah, anymore. That's right. The camera's whizzing around 360 degrees. Like even watching The Matrix from 1999, it looks slow now. And when that came out, I could barely process what was happening on the screen. Now, The Matrix, Keanu Reeves and uh, co. is slow, a slow film compared to what happens today with the science fiction and uh, you know, fantasy uh, superhero movies. I can't even watch them personally. I'd rather watch the bloody flowers grow in the garden in my yard. Why do you think that is? As you said, it's it's an empire construct. What, why are they doing that? Because it focuses people on trivialities. It focuses people on things that are moving so fast that you become accustomed to the idea that depth is not necessary in life. And where there's no depth, there's no substance. Where there's no substance, there's no meaning. So fast-moving media reduces people's search for meaning. So it doesn't get more profound than that in a manner of speaking, and yet that is the equation I would draw. Is this leading to technological addiction? I'm just imagining you walking a forest or me sitting on a, mm. on a quiet beach. To most people, that seems boring now. Well, to some, to most people, um, it may seem boring, but uh, most people that I speak to, it's it's something that they want to do. Because I'm happy to say that you know I've become I've, I've become forgetful about mainstream consciousness, what that looks like, because I've created a situation where I'm usually talking to people who are very alive, very self determining, and they've started to realize that even for The best of us, me and you and the audience and other guys and girls listening to this or whatever, we realize we have to watch out because we are information hungry, most of us, and we're always in sort of discovery mode. We're always e eager to explore things, and this sort of penchant for discovery can make us sort of develop this little habit. You know, you think, I'll just have a little injection of heroin in the morning and then that'll, that'll be okay. And then lunchtime, well, maybe one more. Then the afternoon, well, I'm kind of bored, maybe a bit more. Well, now it's dinner time and, well, I needed to sleep sometimes as well. So if you think of the, the telephone, particularly the smartphones as a needle, then you're on the right lines. Now let's go to the meat of things, the myth of civilization. Why, first of all, why do we require, why do nations require myth? Myth is uh, a way of observing the world for people who don't want to formulate that for themselves or who have not yet arrived at a point of development to do that. So we have myths that are very um, substantial and profound and useful, perhaps particularly from Egypt and Greece, uh, myths that come through to today and from um, the native peoples of Europe and Scandinavia in particular are ones that I'm interested in. And then, you know, being American now and living in America for the last decade, I've familiarized myself with the myths of these nations. And I didn't know anything. I'd, I couldn't create a new American myth. So I took the ones that existed into my hands and mind and heart and examined them. And they, they're like doorways. You know, they, they invite you inwards to a sort of richer, um, more purposeful world in a way. 
and it's um, a myth can be very scientific, you know. A myth can be very um, contemporary and very articulate. I think people think with a myth that it's old and it's about spirits and about strange apparitions and whatnot. But a myth can be very hard science today, and it's still a myth. It's just an idea. It's an idea presented to lend some structure to the bloody, strange, nebulous nature of reality, which for someone like me and you and, again, uh, the, the good audience that you've cultivated over the years, we love the mystery. We love the nebulous, strange, bizarre, fascinating world and all its layers of concealment and magic. It's, it's good. But for many people in the mainstream, which, which we'll come to in a moment, that's terrifying. And so myths give people like um, training wheels, stabilizers on a bicycle. And it's like, okay, here's a myth and you can go with this and explore it. But it's always inviting you when you get into the heart of the myth to then take it your own way and say, okay, there's, an, there's another layer. You've just reached the next point of initiation. Come further, further into this mystery, you know, this encounter with the mystery. And then instead of it being an impersonal myth, like, say, you know, the Greek mythos or the Scandinavian or Norse mythology, which is wonderful, it then starts to become more personal. So you have your own mythology of your journeys through the deserts and forests and cities and mountains and with this amazing woman and this amazing man and these tribal brothers and sisters. And your own mythology starts to arise. The more you encounter the mystery, the more personal it becomes, let's say it like that. Why is civilization then a myth? Okay, so this is this is the as you say, this is the uh this is the big stake of our conversation, shall we say. L let me say this by by way of an introduction, I, th I think it's worth defining what it is we're going to talk about here and why, um as you say. And just speaking for myself, my own standard operating procedure uh, what I usually talk about and what I do for a living is to harness a kind of contemporary mysticism to build inner strength in people. That's what I do for a living. I create an environment for people to see a stronger version of themselves and then activate that vision. And, and in this work that I do, there's a, a sort of potent spiritual component for sure. And there's a philosophical one, there's a metaphysical one, and there's some heavy rich alchemical ideas too. So my work, 90% of the time, is focused on cultivating inner strength and deep insight in the, an individual life. And perhaps, Mel, if I may say, what I often see as, as the, the regular order of business on a, a great show like yours, a great show like Veritas, is to uh, investigate the nature of phenomena, yeah, to, to probe alternative history, to explore bleeding edge science to ex expose black projects and the surveillance state and government overreach and you know delve into all sorts of very singular and fascinating discoveries that that lie really well outside of the mainstream is that is that fair to say no oh, that was a great description yes okay so when there is a, te a a really serious tectonic shift in social structure and media coverage and imperial tactics and in language uses now that we're seeing in society such vast transformations right now, I think it is almost obligatory for us to turn 
whatever skills we have, whatever skills we've refined in ourselves in terms of illumination, investigation, truthfulness towards this unprecedented sort of universal upheaval that we're seeing now in the streets and in the, you know, the offices and factories and villages and the media. And I think that the men and women who comprehend the deeper purpose of what is really happening with Mel and Veritas and Neil Kramer and his spiritual practice, they appreciate that the overall endeavor is the same. What we're actually trying to do is determine with as much pure mind and heart as we can, what is real and what is not, what is true and what is untrue. And the funny thing is, particularly at the moment, even more than the crazy metaphysical multidimensional stuff I do and the crazy UFO stuff or whatever that pushes the fringe on what you do, what we're seeing now in society, the most apparently ordinary thing, the truth that we are overturning the truth, the untruth that we discover, the concealment that we find, everything is so deeply unpopular right now. And it goes against the grain in the most vigorous and provocative ways that it's, it's just astonishing. So when we focus our attention on society and politics and culture and collectivism, some people get activated by that, don't they? And their emotional investments in all sorts of ideas about left-leaning liberalism and right-leaning conservatism, it gets painful and people become very irate and very nasty and they rant and rave or they walk away or they hurl insults and, and generally sort of lose their center. They become polarized. And I would say right off the top as we get into this, whatever side you get polarized to, it's a sign of be becoming sort of philosophically and psychically co-opted by empire. So people trapped in belief systems whose thoughts are not their own and who are paying the price for really a sort of lifelong unconscious emotional investment into things that have been made by outside forces, they're getting a real mess. And it's, it's very infuriating as well because those people have no idea that they have been owned and hoodwinked and programmed. They have no idea. They think that they are sophisticated, modern people making good choices for themselves in life, and they are not. They are not. And it can sound a bit harsh when I speak like this, because I'm usually you know, very much seeking the point of equilibrium and harmony and neutrality, which I do that. That doesn't mean that you dilute yourself and become less, less bold. The more equilibrium I have in my life, the more power, more aggression, the more force I can wield. But it's disciplined aggression, disciplined force, just like the athlete or the the archer or the you know the um, the sportsman, it's a disciplined kind of power. But if that sounds harsh, what we're saying about mainstream society, there, let me just give you this quote from uh, George Gurdjieff. It was a sort of mystical scholar from you know way back, and he he said this about a hundred years ago, and I've got this quote here to read. In order to awaken, first of all, one must realize that one is in a state of sleep. And in order to realize that, one is indeed in a state of sleep. One must recognize and fully understand the nature of the forces which operate to keep one in a state of sleep or hypnosis. And it is absurd to think that this can be done by seeking information from the very... 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.